Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumbo Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumbo Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner. You're listening to Puck and Roll. Here's a breakaway for Tyler to Foley. Scores! And the Canadians are on the board from their leading goal scorer a year ago, Tyler to Foley. One-timer, and that was blocked in front. Dahlstrom tip, scores! Right in front, and the flow, Michael Pozzetta, the Toronto boy, he's got a goal. It's 3-0. Hello, and welcome to the 10th episode of Puck and Roll. You may notice that uh, you are not welcome by the soothing voice of Patrick Lorty this episode, and that's because uh, I am going to be the guest host this episode, uh, just so that Patrick can take a little bit of a break. But not to worry, he is going to start us off with his segment of the Habs Blitz, so you're still going to be able to hear his voice this week. And apart from that, we are going to cover uh, the the intra-squad game, the preseason games that have occurred up until this point, and a very special segment from Joshua Rosa about the OHL preseason game that he attended with a media pass. This should be a very fun episode, and we look forward to it. Now, first, we'll send this to Patrick Lorty for his uh, segment of the Habs Blitz. Blitz for September the 28th. Not a lot to cover because most of the topics are already being covered by the amazing crew here at Puck and Roll. But the one topic that does need to be discussed is the one of crowd capacity. In the United States, most of the arenas are opening to full capacity with some very small restrictions. While in Canada, Calgary, Edmonton, and Winnipeg have declared that uh, for the opening night, they will be running at full crowd capacity. While in Ontario, 50% crowd capacity will be allowed in Toronto and Ottawa, of course. In Montreal, we are still limited to 33%, which gives us an approximate crowd of 7,500 people. Unfortunately, however, the Quebec Public Health has declared that there are no plans to changes in the short term because, of course, with the holidays coming around, they're expecting a yet another wave of COVID infections. So it remains to be seen when 
the day will happen when over 21,000 people will be chanting, Go Habs Go! That's it for this week. Back to the show. All right, Joshua, let us begin with uh, the first preseason game. We can't fully talk about the second one because it is in progress during the recording. And I believe the score is 2 nothing as of right now for the Habs. And but the first game uh, did not quite go as well for our dear Montreal Canadiens, losing 4-1 to the Toronto Maple Leafs, with the lone Montreal goal being scored by Tyler Toffoli. So, Josh, any uh, players that you want to chime in about during that game? Uh, it's it's hard. It was not a very good game for Montreal. They went like I think 35 minutes without a shot during the middle of that. So what I heard, which is quite bad, um, and even our coach Dominic Ducharme said it, it's no one stood out. It's hard to stand out when you're having such a poor game that way. But I mean, the worrying thing to me was uh, Cole Caulfield. He got a lot of chances that just they weren't really even much threats of goals they were missing the net and everything on a three on O breakaways which is not really what you want to see for a guy like that hopefully I mean it's preseason hopefully he'll get it better together come regular season if he's in the lineup regular season starting off yeah, like I'm, I'm not overly worried about Cole Caulfield and uh, scoring goals. Is kind of what he does. I was just happy to see that he got some opportunities and he got into like goal scoring positions because that's honestly half of the work. And like as far as his shot goes, he like the chances are that he's not going to pull an Artur, an, an Arturi Lekkonen and just start missing the net ninety five percent of the time after scoring eighteen goals as a rookie. Like like that's not happening to Cole Caulfield. If I mean. It, it would be unlikely and heartbreaking, uh, but I, I I really don't expect it. Yeah, I mean, that's what he's known for, his shot, but he's also shown such great playmaking and everything over the course of the postseason. It's not a big worry. It's just something that I've noticed, unfortunately, and uh, there's just not, yeah, not much good to talk about the uh, goaltending was interesting because we always talk about Caden Primo being the next coming of Carey Price, and he struggled quite a bit against Toronto this game when it was surprising Michael McNiven was far better except for that one little we don't talk about we don't talk about the McNiven giveaway because he was spectacular apart from that like it was it was night and day between McNiven and Primo in that game. And yeah, I mean, McNiven has had such an interesting ride to the, like, like in his professional hockey career since he graduated from the OHL, because like he's played in like how many different ECHL teams? Cause he was loaned out to multiple couple seasons ago. And then last year he was splitting backup starts with Vasily Demchenko. Like it, the, the guy has, he, like, like McNiven, he he's played well basically everywhere and 
he just hasn't gotten that big shot. And then this summer, he he like he filed for arbitration, which was just like weird, right? It was just like the the strangest thing. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the goaltending battle will be like in Laval because there's kind of a logjam with Primo McNiven, and then uh, we also have Poulain in uh, in goal who has actual NHL experience that is a lot more than Primo and McNiven combined. And yeah, do you have any like hot takes as for the goaltending position? Or are you going to play it safe with saying that Primo was going to be the main starter? It's too early to say, really. I mean, he's still so young, Primo. And I don't know if I've ever seen in such a log jam. There's like four AHL quality goaltenders that Montreal could choose from that there's only two spots for like we've got the two spots in the NHL pretty much locked up barring any no one's no one's dislodging uh, Jake Allen or Carey Price obviously obviously (laughs) unless god forbid there's another injury again which we we don't no jinx gonna talk about yeah we will not (laughs) jinx anything on this podcast yeah so it's just uh yeah I still think that Primo has all the tools to become a really great NHL player, but you have to remember that he was a seventh round draft pick. And there was like, there is a reason that he wasn't picked super high, but he's developed great. And I think he'll continue that way. And and he's still really young. And like, uh, like Montreal management has said, like as, as recently as last season that like, they still want to give Primo a full two seasons in the AHL without like, real NHL game time because they just want him to develop and goalies take notoriously long to do that. And especially with like the Habs golden goaltending situation of Jake Allen still being under contract for another two, is it two seasons or three seasons? That, I, think that two. I think it's two. I believe it's two. Um, and with another two seasons of Jake Allen on a very like, uh, like decent contract very surprised at, at two two point eight five million a year like i mean that's totally fine and it buys Caden primo that time to just develop and yeah and like apart apart from from just the goaltending even though uh Duchamp did say that there were no standouts i would disagree because i feel like coaches are notoriously always the hardest on their own team but one player that really stuck out to me was Gianni Fairbrother, who was, the, again, he was a third-round pick in the 2018 NHL draft. Uh, more Or 2019. 2019. Sorry, 2019 NHL draft. And um, so he is going, he is uh, no longer going back to junior. So he's going to stick in the AHL this season. Uh, he's likely not cracking the Habs lineup. But he looked really good against some actual NHL competition. And I actually noticed a similar thing last uh, season when he did play some games in Laval that he was playing a lot better than like a player with NHL experience like uh, Xavier Willett, right? Like, mm-hmm. like Willett is not a player that ever looks very comfortable on the ice. Um, like he, he's good in his limited role sometimes, but he, like Fairbrother... He's a decent skater. He has some interesting offensive tools, and he's like barely six feet. He might he might be five eleven, and he's he right hits like a truck. Six. Okay, he 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 may he may have been like five eleven up until this season, so he, he's like barely at six. 
but he hits like a truck. <laughs> like th- this is like, it- it's fun to watch. And it's not necessarily like he, he, he's a lot mature and to know like when to hit because mm-hmm. he loves going for the hit. And he took a really stupid, ugly penalty against uh, Ottawa in the rookie during the rookie tournament of like, it was just a dangerous hit. And yeah, like I, he still needs to definitely start to control his emotions and to know when he should get physically involved. But again, he looked very good against NHL competition. Well, well, I mean, AHL slash NHL competition in that first preseason game. And it should be definitely fun to see what he does in Laval this year, because he, he should probably get like a, 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 like a regular third pairing role. And then when injuries and call-ups occur, like throughout the entire Habs and rocket organizations, He's going to get time in that top four, and it should be fun to see what what he can do, especially with a bit of power play time, because I think he has some offensive skills that haven't shown themselves professionally yet, and uh, he was actually drafted for his offensive ability. Like, uh, you know how, like, the Habs before COVID, they they always did, like, videos of, like, uh, the draft table, right? And they, mm. they kind of, like, discussed the picks. When they were going up into the Fairbrother pick, Trevor Timmons, and Mark Bergevin were just talking about, like, this is a guy that, that can score goals as a defenseman. And it was kind of their main draw to him. It wasn't, was not the physicality. It was not, not the, the defensive play. It was the offense, which is still waiting to manifest itself professionally. So it should be fun to watch him. And an, another two guys that we kind of have to talk about here. One would be someone who is going for a roster spot this year in Ryan Paling. What's, mm. What are your thoughts on Ryan Paling, Josh? I mean, I, it's so tough because I think he could be a really great fourth-line center on Montreal, especially in the future. I think he could be good fourth-line this year. I just think there might be some growing pains that you have to live with, especially if you're going to put him on the roster this year. I think that he's going to make mistakes. He's going to mess up he's not going to score as many goals as you want him to like in his first full year really in Montreal which was only about 50 games I think but 24 27 it wasn't yeah yeah not even that much much, yeah and I could see why he was put down he didn't produce he wasn't playing very well but I think if you give him the chance which is the problem because there's a lot of people looking for that chance. You got Paquette, you got Evans, you got Perot, who are looking at that third, fourth line center role. But I think if you give them a bit of a leash, tell them not like, don't worry, don't give them the worry about going down to the HL. I think he could be a really good fourth line center in the future. But you have to deal with the growing pains now that he might exhibit this year. It's tough to say what's going to happen. Yeah, and it's it's interesting uh, because like the Habs can only keep what fourteen forwards up with the the big team uh, and like seven defensemen. They, they might go eight defensemen and thirteen forwards. We'll see. But um, it also means that Paling doesn't need to clear waivers, and that makes it him a lot easier to move down to Laval. Plus, yeah. giving him a full AHL season to dominate isn't a bad thing. He looked great last year. Like he, yeah, the he line, the, the the line that he formed with Joel Teasdale and uh, Joe Blandizi 
was a great AHL line. It was, it was super well-balanced, very responsible, and very creative offensively. It was very fun to watch because they all had their individual strengths of Teasdale as a net front presence, um, and then Blandizi as the playmaker, and um, Ryan Paling as the power forward. Um, but Ryan Paling also had an interview that he did at the beginning of the season. And I'm not sure, Josh, if you've listened to it, but he, he really demonstrated a lot of maturity and, um, I guess, awareness of what he, like, he brings to the table, where he very openly stated, like, I, I, like, my goal is not to be a star player in the NHL. I just want to be a reliable player that you can put out in every situation, uh, like, like maybe, maybe my like star abilities will come later, but for the time being, I just want to be trusted. I want to get game time. I just want to play hockey. And he's also in much better shape coming into this camp than he was uh, last year. So it should be fun to just see what happens with him because he's a bit of a wild card because he could, he could start in the AHL or he could be a third line centerman. Like maybe he starts ahead of Jake Evans. It's not too likely, I don't think, but it's not impossible either. And the last, the last guy, we, we have to talk about of him. Of course. We, we kind of need to. Uh, Joshua Hua, the, the man that you share a name with. Mm-hmm. A fifth round draft pick from this season. One of the younger players in the draft who fell because he was 20 pounds overweight. But he went first overall in the QJHL draft a couple years ago. This man came to camp not only in great shape, not only working basically as hard as players like Rafael Arbipinar, who are we are going to get to later because we love this kid. But like Jake Evans too, like, like, like he was working hard, he's in shape, and on top of everything, he's scoring goals. Like, what's your take on this? Quebecois boy who is was cut and sent back to the QMJHL so that he can be ready for like the actual season. Like, what do you think of him, and what are your expectations for him this season? Yeah, I think he could turn out to be really a big steal for Montreal going way down into the fifth round just because of the aforementioned be the behavior, the lack of effort, the lack of physical fitness that he showed up but he's really proved that he's willing to put in the effort and the work to get back into shape and to elevate his compete level to be up there with some of the bigger competitors on the team like as we said RHP and Jake Evans and things so he like that was the big question coming into his draft was, is he going to be one of those guys that has all the skill in the world, but just doesn't, doesn't put it together because he's dominated since he was a little kid, probably best player in all of his leagues. And then it comes up to get to the queue. You get to the AHL where it's harder to dominate than the little triple A leagues. So he's he's really impressed me so far. Some of his plays on the ice have been really nice skill and the effort is commendable, very commendable for what has been said about him. And if he could keep this up, I I'm not sure about this year, but in the coming future, he could be a 
big AHL star, in my opinion, and then maybe rise up to the NHL someday. Yeah, like I I uh, watched a little bit of him this season, um, mainly because I was interested in his storyline because a he was a first overall pick a couple of years ago, and because he was traded because of a lack of fitness. Like it's just an interesting thing to kind of follow. So I watched a couple of his games, and there was an observation that elite prospects and their scouting team made that I completely agreed with, and that was that. Joshua like like overlooking like all like the fitness issues and effort and whatever he's a goal scorer like he, his shot is great like he 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 has one of the better shots in that draft class like he's he's just he's very good at at putting the puck in the net or shooting in general his bigger issue was getting into a position to use that ability so this is something that we've seen with Cole Caulfield being amazing at right of just as we were just talking about like he he didn't score in that first preseason game but he got into the position to do so and that was the exact opposite of what the issue was with Joshua Hua this past season was that the shot was great but like you're kind of just like trying to scream at the, like at, at the screen of like telling him like <laughs> go into that empty space it's right there for you like like you're going to be in a great goal scoring spot and he just missed it the big thing that I noticed, like beyond like obviously the fitness and the effort level, which were kind of shocking to me after I'd watched him in the queue, was that he was routinely going to the right spot spaces, like consistently. And he scored a lot of goals just by virtue of being in good positions, right? Like we saw this especially in like the intra-squad game of he had a gorgeous top corner backhand shot because he kind of placed himself in the low slot when there was a puck battle in the corner, right? It's just, it's the small details of just positioning and knowing how to use your strengths, right? Because in the end, if your strength is shooting, it doesn't matter if you can't actually use it, right? Like why yeah. would it, <laughs> right? Like if you can't yeah. use your shot, doesn't matter. Um, and I was very impressed with that. And I know some Habs fans were complaining about him being cut and they wanted to see more of him in preseason, which is fair. But at the same time, the QMJHL season begins on, on Friday. Mm-hmm. And you want him to already get some chemistry going with his teammates in, in Sherbrooke. So I'm very okay with it. And he left a mark at training camp and he's certain to be back next season and we'll see. And this this year in the queue, my 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 bold prediction. I don't know if it's even that bold. Forty goals. I think I think he's getting forty goals. So that's my. Yeah, I think that's doable. If okay, asterisk. If he can keep the motivation of working hard in the QMJHL, like if that that's if that fit, if that was something that was just there because he was in a professional environment, it might fade. But. I'm really hoping it doesn't. And he's a very fun, fun player. And everyone, I'll remind you uh, that this is the 10th episode of the podcast. And it is a small panel today of just myself, Sebastian High, and Joshua Rosa, uh, because everyone else was busy and or exhausted, which is very easy to understand at the end of September. It's a very busy month for many people getting back to work and the exhaustion of, of everything. Um, but yeah, I'll, I guess I'll, we'll transition this to the next segment, 
which is my own. So I guess I'll introduce myself for the Prospect Heroes segment, and I'll be joined by Josh, who's replacing Scott Cowan as the panelist. So we'll just keep going with this panel of two. I'll be your prospect sidekick. I'm very good with that, and you're going to be the focus of this one. The Prospect Heroes, Scott and Sebastian on Puck and Roll. As always, the arrival of NHL training camps brings over the usual feel-good stories and interesting developments that follow the PTOs and invitations that occur in the lead-up to every NHL season. In this case, 2021-22. The Montreal Canadiens will certainly have some expectations, or more so intrigue, placed upon them following one of the more magical playoff runs in team history last season, culminating in a trip to the Stanley Cup Finals, where they ultimately fell lost in five games to the Tampa Bay Lightning. Headlining the team's roster for the moment, however, isn't the usual mix of star players and depth options that comprise most regular season rosters. Rather, it's the lesser-known AHL and sometimes ECHL contributors doing their best to earn a shot with the parent club from the start of the regular season. In the Canadiens' case, AHL affiliate the Laval Rocket have taken matters into their own hands with the plethora of AHL-contracted players they've added following an extremely successful 2020-2021 season that culminated in a Canadian division title. So, with that being said... Here's a quick look at a few of the AHL contractors slash AHL contributors that make up part of the Canadiens training camp roster for the 2021-22 season. I think it goes about saying that the Canadiens didn't have the best start to their preseason schedule and a less than ideal 4-1 loss to the Toronto Maple Leafs on opening night. The Habs roster wasn't the typical Brendan Gallagher's and Josh Anderson's of last year's playoffs, instead relying on some of the Rockets' more reliable performers. Case in point, Lauren Dauphay and Alex Belzol. While many still see him as solely an AHL contributor, I think the time has come for Belzol to see more substantial minutes of the Canadiens' season after finally proving himself as a reliable performer at the AHL level. Belzil's long and winding path to the NHL is one that has been well documented, but even still, the St. L1 native has had to fight tooth and nail to ultimately earn that long-awaited NHL debut, going from a healthy scratch in the QMJHL to the ECHL to the AHL, and finally in that historic red, white, and blue jersey. While he's not an overly fancy or deeply skilled player by any stretch, there are a few players as hardworking as Belzil, and it's that work ethic that's led to his reputation as the heart and soul of the Rocket over the past three seasons. Dauphin is a bit of an anomaly in the Canadiens organization, having proven himself as a reliable and talented AHL contributor, while similarly falling just short of an NHL return after nearly securing a full-time role in the 2016-17 season. A former second-round pick of the Arizona Coyotes, Dauphin is mostly known for being the other side of the deal that saw former Canadiens first-round pick, Michael McCarron, go to the Nashville Predators. With solid offensive abilities, a high IQ for the game, and great awareness off the puck as evidenced by his plus 16 rating for Laval last season, I think the fans are deserving of a shot at Montreal, making a long awaited answer return for a player who's struggled to find his footing over the past few seasons. Leading on from that, obviously Ken and Primos continued to raise suspicions after yet another less than stellar performance and goal for the Canadians. Yet I think the jury is still out regarding his NHL future. While he's beginning to show why he was ultimately a 7th round pick more and more, Primo's excellent numbers in the AHL should continue to serve his development well, and subsequently give the Canadians more incentive to allow him to gain some confidence he still appears to be lacking in. In many ways, the Canadians don't want to repeat as Zach Pucalli's and Charlie Ringens of yesteryear, and I feel as though Primo has a lot left to show the Canadians and Rocket in 2021-22. While there wasn't a whole lot of note to take from the Canadiens' first preseason loss, Brandon Baddock managed to stand out in his brief tilt with Lee's forward Curtis Gabriel. Gabriel and Braddock are cut from similar, similar cloths for the most part, but even still, 
the Alberta native struggled to hold his own against the smaller Gabriel. Ever since being signed by Montreal as a free agent last season, Bannock has been the perfect physical presence for the Rocket, while similarly not crippling them skill-wise like with David Broll and or Matthew Gagnon. While an, NHL, and while an NHL debut is extremely unlikely at this moment, Bannock still gives the Canadians a backup plan in the event they need to bring an intimidating presence onto the ice against a bitter rival. Finishing things off here, while subsequently going back to some of the more AHL contracted additions, Gabriel Bork and Denik Martel are, in my mind, the most intriguing signings of this offseason, as in many ways, they shouldn't be on AHL contracts to begin with. With both players fitting the bill of smaller-ish energy forwards, both have similarly managed to carve out brief stints in the NHL, whilst posting remarkably solid numbers at the AHL level. Martel, a Drummondville native, is a four-time 20-goal man at the AHL level, yet found himself a little bit in an AHL deal with the Binghamton Devils last season. In between a collective 15-game cup of coffee with the Flyers and Lightning over two seasons, Martel should project to be a key part of the Rockets' offense this upcoming season. As for Bork, had Brazil and Xavier Ouellette not been on the Rockets' roster this season, I would say the Romiski native is the perfect, if not ideal, candidate for captain. Having managed to secure a full-time role in the NHL for six and a half seasons from 2011-2012 to 2019-20. In between playing a key role for the National Predators at bottom six among other things, Bork has been a steady, reliable two-way producer at the AHL level in his two full seasons, and in many ways has the skill set of a player far more talented than his numbers would suggest. With speed to burn, a lethal release, and surprisingly uh, soft hands, I could see Bork becoming a legitimate threat for the Rockets should he be able to put everything together and potentially see an, a return to the NHL ice down the line. So, with the 2021-22 training camps well underway for the Canadians, there's a look at some of the AHL options Montreal has added to the roster for this upcoming season. Alright, so Josh, we are focusing this part not on anything Habs related, because we're talking a lot about young Habs players in other segments of this episode, but you did something very special this week. Tell me about it. Yeah, this week I got invited into us, me and the Puck and Roll podcast got invited into a OHL game as a member of the press. I got to sit up, up way up in the press box with my little notebook and I got to watch the Mississauga Steelheads play the Kitchener Rangers and the Kitchener Rangers, the, the odd they call it there, the auditorium, the old big old auditorium. And first of all, I'd like love to thank the Kitchener Rangers organization and everyone that worked at the game so much. It's if you don't know about Ontario, we've just started the vaccine passport and no one really knows what was going on. It was a lot of chaos, but everyone working there was just so amazing at everything that they were doing. It was really a special special night for a lot of people there was the sold out crowd of 1000 that they could have safely seated and everything was done very safely and very covid safe which was great it was stress-free it was such a fun time the fans were cheering at everything even though it's just a pre-season exhibition game the atmosphere was electric it was just so much fun to see live hockey again you don't know how much you missed it until you go back because you could say you could remember oh I remember going to games it was so nice but it's different when you get back into a rink with fans with players and you get to just see it live it just hits so much differently and it was an incredible game. It was an incredible experience. And I want to thank Kitchener again for inviting us. And it was just so much fun. I loved every minute of it. 
And Josh, when was the last hockey game that you went to? So like, how long was that of a break between hockey games live? It's been a long time. Uh, The OHL was off the entire year last year. And I'm not even sure if I got to got to a storm game the year before so it might be like two or three years since i've been to an ohl hockey game so it's been a long time long time coming and i it was just so much fun i'm gonna go definitely see a ton more now that i've got the taste for it again that's awesome and can you just talk about maybe some of the players that you thought stood out and i believe one of the players that you liked a lot was the only Kitchener player that I previewed in episode eight, I want to say seven or eight when we did like the rundown of Guelph Storm and Kitchener Rangers players. And that was Andrew LeBlanc, who I Mm -hmm. don't believe had any previous OHL experience. Let me check real quick. No, he did not. So that was his first taste of OHL hockey, even though it was just preseason. We have to preface it with just preseason. But how did he look? Yeah, I I was watching him all game because I was interested. He's playing on the top line in this game with Mike Petizian and uh, Joseph Serpa, who are both older veterans of the OHL. Petizian's 20 years old and Serpa's 19. And uh, LeBlanc was a 17th overall pick in 2020 so obviously they missed the whole year he wasn't able to play but playing with those two veteran guys he didn't look out of place which was very interesting um they dominated the entire game pretty much when they were on the ice they really worked in the offensive zone when they had the puck um Petizian was flying all over the place at Serpa they scored all three uh Kitchener goals in the game one from each of them and LeBlanc had pointed two of them he made a great steal in the offensive zone to set up Tizian for the second goal which was like the second goal in 30 seconds for Kitchener so that was a fun surprise but he's just he's was really good in the zone where he was standing positionally he made some really good plays he made a great shot on the power play or Maybe it was right after the power play for his own goal, the third goal that Kitchener scored. And he looked really with it with two veteran older players from the OHL. So I'm kind of curious to hear your input on this. Would you class it like I just I know it's just one game and you can't really define any player by one game. But would you define him more as a goal scorer or playmaker from just like the instincts that you saw? Or is he very like even in in both yeah i mean it's a, he was just i would say like he's a really good he could be a good goal scorer he was just very good positionally from what i saw he was in position to make steals in the offensive zone he was in position to take great shots and play well so there was he the assist that he made wasn't like some out of this world pass but it was a great defensive play to steal the puck so he's kind of like he's really good positionally and that really works for him to be able to do whatever he needs to do to produce offense which is just what that line did all game they just 
went and went and they just produced offense whenever they were on the ice. And he looked really great, scored a really nice shootout goal to win the game at the end of there. So he was just, yeah, he was very impressive for a rookie player getting his first taste of hockey in a year. Exactly. He he has not played since the pandemic hit. So it's been like a year and a half since he's played any perf- like like competitive game. So yeah. the fact that he, that he fared so well is really impressive. And so let's transition this from one 17th overall pick to another. Do you want to talk about Carson Raykopf? Yeah, Carson Raykopf. He is a year younger than LeBlanc, who is, who is 17. He's 16. So he's not up for NHL draft this year. But he, he didn't show up on the scoreboard at unless it was a negative way, which I'll mention a bit later. But he played really aggressively for a rookie 16-year-old, which was very surprising. He got some time on the penalty kill. And at one point, the puck went back to the point, and Mississauga Steelhead just bobbled the puck for a second. And Red Croft was right on him. He bowled him over. his by far the biggest hit in the game. They ended up lying on top of each other. He just bulldozed through him. And I thought that's it's pretty, pretty uh, good play. If you he noticed that he balled with the puck and he had about half a second to decide to go after this guy. And if he's wrong, it's blowing up in his face. That defender could just walk right in there. But he saw his opportunity and he took it. And he played really well in physical all game. He had some good chances in the third period. He had a great chance to score. Unfortunately. Being a 16-year-old, he didn't get that chance. And behind the play, he got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty. Which Ooh, that's it's a learning curve for these young players, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, he's 16 years old. Like he he's gonna learn not to do that. And unfortunately, Mississauga scored on that power play, Ooh. which brought them back into the game at three to two. But it's he played well. Other than that. And I think that's just going to come with age and maturity when he learns when to pick his battles and when to play that aggressive physical game that he played and displayed a lot of this game and when to back off and not get a penalty. Yeah, and just for the audience, just if it wasn't clear, so uh, Andrew LeBlanc, that we talked, who we talked about earlier, is a player who's draft eligible this season, and he is a centerman. So he's he's a forward and he's 5'11 and listed at 157 pounds. Though so that might be a dated um like like weight considering like this on elite prospects. I'm not sure if that, that updated this season. Whereas Carson Raykopf is a, a center or left wing, and uh he's 16. So he's 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 not even draft eligible yet, but he's already six foot three and 185 pounds. So He's already way more physically mature than Andrew LeBlanc is, who's a full year older. So it's it's interesting to just look at this, like the the difference in physicality between these players. And I I know you wanted to talk about also a player on um on like, who was that? Yes, of course, Xander Vecchia, who stood mm-hmm. up to you, who is a player that I was not familiar with before you attended this game. Yeah, he's uh, he's a member of the the first member of the Mississauga Steelheads that I'm going to talk about. He stood out. He is a younger guy. Let me see here. 
Yeah, so he, yeah, he's, he's draft old. eligible, but he's draft, draft eligible, eligible, but born in July. So he, just like Joshua Hua was this year, he will be a very young draft eligible player. Yeah, I, yeah, he played kind of invisibly for the first two periods. I didn't make much note of him until we got to the third period. Uh, Kitchener was up three to one at that point. And Vecha really stepped up his game. He scored the 3-2 goal on the power play from Raycroft's penalty. But he it was a great tip in front of that. And he also assisted on James Hardy's game-tying goal with 27 seconds left. So he's out there, six on five opportunity. And he's producing offense. He also had a great chance. He split two much bigger defenders on the on the Kitchener Rangers to get a great scoring chance that he wasn't able to finish but he was able to get right in between those two bigger guys and come away with the puck and a great scoring chance so he's got some definitely some hands and some skill to look out for there and are there any other players that's that really stood up to you for good or bad reasons, or does that cover really the ones that were the most special? Uh, the one, the one guy that I did make note of on the defensive side was a defender on the Kitchener Rangers who was named Matthew Andonovsky. He's another rookie, 16 years old, fourth round pick. So he's, a bit lower down there, but he was an interesting guy to watch because he would either display a great amount of skill or it would give you a terrible giveaway. And he... Eric Gustafson? Yeah. yeah. The big, bigger version of Eric Gustafson considering that big guy. is 6'3 and 194 pounds. And he's not even draft eligible yet. <laughs> yeah, he's <laughs> this noticeable out there. But he skates well. He likes. To, he seemed to like to have the puck on his stick coming out of the zone. Unfortunately, it was really mostly the first period that he was making these mistakes, which I think is part of not being able to play for a year. I think it's exactly. harder. Yeah, it's harder for defenders and things to get back into the groove of breaking it out because it's easy to break it out against your teammates. But when you're facing another team, it's a whole different beast, similar to the goalies, unfortunately, for Kitchener Rangers. It's going to be interesting if for the season, every time a Kitchener Ranger goalie has the puck on his stick, your heart's going to be in your throat. They had about three touches of the puck, and it went directly into opposing players' sticks. Oh, no. Yeah, one was a goal. The other two they were able to salvage, but it, it was an interesting game for the goalies back there. Yeah, it'll be something to, to keep track of for sure. And if you keep going to some Kitchener Rangers games this season, and you had to pick one of their players that, I don't know, like, best player, but, like, the one that you're most like excited to watch and you don't just have to stick with players that you saw in this game or players that haven't been drafted yet. Just a player that you're just really stoked to watch a bit more. Yeah. I'd love to see uh, Francesco Pinelli. He's so um, good. 
He's yeah. such a good player. <laughs> Second round. I was hoping to talk about him. He should have gone uh, the first, in my opinion. But yeah, he was he's 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 wonderful. Just there are a couple so of smart. spots that they could have switched him into there. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. But he is, yeah, he's such a smart player. He's able to make plays that just yeah. I can't see coming. He's just he's just so smart, so skilled. Sec, like obviously he's a second round pick for the LA Kings this year, so he's gonna be the LA Kings. Like their prospect pool is just like, it, like them and the Rangers, and even like Senators, but to a lesser degree. But like them and the Rangers, it's just not fair. It's just yeah. a ridiculous pool of prospects on both sides. And again, like like Pinelli is just a tremendously intelligent player. Reminds me of Nick Suzuki in some facets of not the strongest skater, um, but just so smart. And he has a lot of skill. He can shoot. He can pass. It's just the work and effort isn't always the most apparent. And the skating ability isn't quite there. Like as a as like a template of player, he's very much like Nick Suzuki. If he develops like Suzuki, is another question entirely. But in terms of like skill set, it's not too far off. And I think if you do go to some more Rangers games this season, Kitchener, that is not not New York, uh, you are sure to um, get some real highlights from that one player. Now, uh, I think we, we covered Josh's experience that was quite the experience at uh, the preseason game with the media pass. Let us turn it over to Anthony DeMarco and his Around the NHL segment with our very own Patrick Lorty, who could not join us for this panel, sadly. But I'll turn it over to them and just to talk about what really is going on around the league right now. Here they are. You know the day destroys the night, night divides the day. Try to run, try to hide, break on through to the other side. Break on through to the other side, break on through to the other side, yeah. Around the NHL this week with Anthony DeMarco. How's it going, buddy? Not too bad, man. Looking forward for some actual tangible stuff to talk about. But with training camp underway and the regular season just around the corner, hopefully that is sooner rather than later. But for the time being, we got to make with what we have. Eh? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, it's, I made a, the Habs Blitz section earlier, and I didn't have much to talk about either because, well, our guys are so freaking good that they talk about everything already so <laughs> let's talk about the little things and i'm guessing which is funny because i talked about crowd capacity due to covid but we're going to be talk, talking about covid as well and uh, the uh, increasing number of players that are unvaccinated and are being outright benched so to speak they're not going to be able to uh, to play i mean like what's the story with that well, I mean, th- there's several, right? I mean, I think the most polarizing one is Zach Ronaldo because he was just flat out told that he was not allowed to come to training camp from the Columbus Blue Jackets. And he's been very outspoken about, I believe he was at like PPC rallies and this and that, like heavy anti-vaxxer. So I don't think that he's going to have a future in the NHL. Then you move on to a guy like Tyler Bertuzzi where it's more just 
I mean, it's more on the quiet front, but he's just been told that he won't be able to play games in Canada. You also get the same uh, situation with the guy by the name, I believe it's Bode Wild, if I'm pronouncing that correctly. Hopefully I am. I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah with the Islanders, yeah. that he's in a similar predicament, uh, especially with Lula Amarello. You have to imagine that's not going to go over too well. And then you get the the situation in Edmonton where Duncan Keith held out for as long as he could, finally did get it, and I believe he will be back with the club at this week, if I'm not mistaken, after his quarantine is done. But they also have a player by the name of Josh Archibald who is not getting vaccinated. And if you're a, a player on a Canadian team, you're probably going to miss more than half the amount of games because of how often you're going over the border and such. So... I mean, I respect everyone's right to choose, but in this particular situation, you really are kind of rolling the dice on your career. Yeah, you really are, especially considering that the NHL is the only major sports league in North America that are literally banning players from crossing the border if they're not vaccinated. Well, at least, at least going into Canada, at least Major League Baseball and the NBA, they don't, you know, they don't care. It's just as long as as you're not, as you're not sick and everything. And uh, well, the Canadians were also affected for that matter in a certain way with Jesse Ullinen who uh, uh, came in uh, from Europe, went into quarantine, was not vaccinated, and he had to miss games because of that. And, you know, as a pro- as a prospect, uh, it doesn't make you look good for that matter. I mean, he did eventually, you know, agree to it. But, I mean, I understand that it's a, it's personal uh, opinion and everything. But when you're, you're – this is your career we're talking about. It's not just say, eh, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'll do something else. Like, no, man, this is it. This is the apogee of your career, and you're trying to make those millions of dollars and playing in the NHL. So it doesn't look that tangible for everyone to be able to do that. But, I mean, it is what it is, I guess, right? Yeah, well, that's exactly it. And I think the problem that a lot of these players are running into, and I can't really speak to the other leagues like the NBA and the NFL with how many players have been vaccinated. But if I'm not mistaken, it's less than 15 players in the NHL that have been vaccinated. So yeah, the you're, list is very small, yeah. So so you're really putting yourself on an island here mm-hmm. when you're in this small percentage of players that are refusing to be vaccinated, especially when you're not a big-name player. Like, obviously, let's just say, for, for argument's sake, Nathan McKinnon chooses not to get vaccinated. Yeah. They're probably going to find a way to get around that. But when you're like a prospect or a Josh Archibald or Zach Ronaldo, who's teetering on the brink of no longer being in the NHL, you're almost asking for it. And look, like I said, personal choice. I'm not going to tell someone what they should and shouldn't put in their body. But at the same time, given the circumstances, it really is kind of playing with fire here in terms of your career. That being said, though, there is one player that's making the rounds in the news for all kinds of reasons. And although he is vaccinated, he apparently broke COVID protocols, and that's Evander Kane. Um, Dude, this guy's been in the news for all the wrong reasons recently. What do you got to say about him? You know what? I, it's so sad, right? Because Evander Kane, I think in a lot of ways is a unicorn, like a power forward, good player, could pretty much play in every situation. Great mm-hmm. shot, great, like could stand up, hit, um, fight. I love Evander Kane as a player, but it just seems like ever since he made it to the NHL, originally drafted by the Atlanta Thrashers and later on the Winnipeg Jets, he just cannot keep his name out of the negative attention wheel. And 
I thought they kind of solved that when he went to San Jose and he got there and there was that strong leadership group of guys like, uh, I believe Dan Boyle was still there, Joe Thornton, Patrick Marlowe, Joe Pavelski. And you thought that maybe he had finally turned a quarter after his infamous departure from Buffalo and the Winnipeg Jets. But now with his strange wife and the gambling accusations, although they have deemed to be unfounded in terms of him betting on NHL games, you just you just can't help but feel like he's kind of coming to it's the situation is coming to a head for lack of better terms. There's been rumblings that the San Jose, San Jose Sharks don't want him back um, in the locker room, and for a team that's kind of fast tracking inevitably towards a rebuild, you know you don't really want to have a problem guy in that room and. Look, again, like, I don't like to kind of speak out of turn and pretend to know what is going on behind the scenes when I don't have a source. And on this particular information, I know no more than you or anyone else listening. Yeah. But at the same time, from an outsider's perspective, you just have to think that sooner or later, he's going to have to maybe get some rehabilitation, see someone, just try and figure this out because it'd be such a shame if his career ended on such a sour note, sour note, because at the end of the day, he is a very good hockey player. And he's only 30 years old. So he still has a couple of great seasons in front of him. If, you know, again, he stays out of trouble and he stays healthy and everything. And like you said, he's such a complete player. It's, it's awful, you know, great player, horrible personality. What can we say? Right. On that note, um, we were actually weren't supposed to talk about this, Anthony, but you know what? I mean, I, not to be disrespectful, I kind of forgot about it because it has been a few days ago. Uh, Doug Armstrong, general manager for the uh, St. Louis Blues, signed a five-year uh, contract extension that runs in uh, runs through twenty five twenty six. Armstrong, of course, was you know um, a centerpiece for the uh, the Blues winning the cup in two thousand nineteen, and has been named for um, as general manager of the uh, of Canada of Canada men's ice hockey team. That will be competing in 2022 in Beijing. Um, before I, well, I'm actually going to ask you two questions, Anthony. The first one is what well, your thoughts on extending Doug Armstrong, deserved or not, etc. But also that little news that they also hired Peter Chiarelli in the front office. And now people are like, oh, he's going to be the guy who's going to replace Armstrong after his contract is up. I mean, that's just bogus, right? Yeah, of course. Look, on Bill Armstrong, not Bill Armstrong, Doug Armstrong, (laughs) Armstrong. Bill is his brother in the the desert. (laughs) I think that Doug Armstrong is quietly one of the best general managers in the NHL. Mm -hmm. And he did not get the recognition he truly deserved until he won the Stanley Cup in 2019. He was the architect of the uh, Canada men's hockey team at the World Cup of Hockey in 2016. As you mentioned, he's going to double down on that this year at the Olympics. But another funny fact about Doug Armstrong that doesn't get talked about a lot is since he's become the general manager of the St. Louis Blues, and I believe he got hired back in 2009, the Blues are the only team to have never exercised a buyout, a regular buyout or a compliance buyout that every team got two of following the lockout in 2012. Mm-hmm. And that's really a testament to how good he is at signing contracts. And he's always been a guy that does not get tied into quote unquote bad contracts about paying players for what they've done as opposed for what they're going to do. You saw him walk away from David Backus in 2016, the former face of the franchise, because Backus got, I believe it was 
five years at $6 million from the Boston Bruins. You saw him walk away from Alex Pietrangelo last summer um, or last fall, whenever the offseason was following the COVID season. <laughs> and I mean, he's a guy that isn't afraid to make tough decisions. And I think that it's a real testament to what he's done with St. Louis, because when he took over that team, following the years of McKinnis and Pronger and the first rodeo of Keith Kachuk, that team really became irrelevant. Like I remember following the lockout in 2005, no one really talked about the St. Louis Blues. They got Paul Correa for a bit, but I mean, I think he has just done a phenomenal job there. I've loved what he's done ever since, let's say, following the 2012 lockout. I thought that they were long past due to win a Stanley Cup, but he's not afraid to make bold changes. Like, you know, he, he brought in the entire center group leading into that Stanley Cup championship victory from outside the organization. He traded for Shen, he traded for Ryan O'Reilly, and he signed Tyler Bozak. So I have a lot of time for Doug Armstrong. You know, obviously a subjective opinion, but he is my favorite general manager in the NHL, maybe aside from Steve Eiserman. But um, yeah, I think it's well-deserved president as well, in addition to being the uh, the general manager. And in regards to Peter Chiarelli, it's such a polarizing name, right? Because of what <laughs> yeah. went on in the later years in Boston and obviously his infamous tenure in uh, Edmonton. But I think what people have to realize is that Peter Chiarelli brings value to a front office when he's not the decision maker. And if you look at his track record when he's not the guy making the final decisions, he it is fairly good. I don't think this is kind of Chiarelli is brought in to be the successor to Armstrong. I don't think the Blues are looking that far ahead. But let's say even if he was, you would still have Armstrong holding the title as president. And, you know, I think that's kind of like what happened with Chiarelli in the later years in Boston, where you had Cam Neely looking over his shoulder, as opposed to his final years in Edmonton. I think Kevin Lowe was president, but he was kind of hands off by that point. But look, I don't think he's going to be the successor to Doug Armstrong. I don't think the Blues are looking that far ahead. But I also see the value in bringing him in as just kind of like a voice in the room when he's not the final decision maker. So I guess to summarize it, if Doug Armstrong thinks that hiring Peter Chiarelli is the right decision, then I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt because I believe he's earned that over the last 10 or 11 years or so. Yeah, which is something that we've seen very often in the NHL. I mean, like there are okay, like we made all the the, the Peter Chiarelli jokes when he was in Edmonton, but I think that was one of the biggest issues uh, over with the Oilers is that, you know, the, the the heart of the front office was just, well, what the locals would call the old boys club, so to speak. All the, those ex-Oilers players that were just, you know, hanging around for, for an extra paycheck and not really doing all that much. And uh, again, Kevin Lowe was put in a position where he had too much power to handle. And then Peter Torelli is someone who, if he is well, so, you know, his entourage is strong. Well, then he'll make the right decisions. And we saw we saw that um, a little bit of, of that weakness when when he was in Boston during that Tyler Seguin trade. There's videos out on YouTube for those interested of him working the phones and being like, "All right, we don't like it. We're trading him." And then he just picks up the phone. He's like, "I'm doing this." And everyone's looking at it being like, uh, okay. There was no one that actually had the cojones to stand up and be like, no, man, you're making a mistake. We have to hold on to this guy, so to speak. So maybe, yeah, maybe putting him in a position where he doesn't have the final say might actually make the team stronger. 
and especially with a mind like Doug Armstrong's, you know, like the, the presentations can be made. He'll be he'll be a yes, this works, great idea, or no, this makes absolutely no sense. Get out of here. And that's the end of that. So to be continued, but I agree with you, Anthony, that um, you know, maybe short of Steve Eiserman, Doug Armstrong is probably the best general manager in the league. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, I, I pulled out what while you were talking, I pulled out Cap Friendly and July first, twenty eighteen. Is something that will go down in infamy for the Buffalo Sabres when they traded Ryan O'Reilly to the Blues in return for Patrick Berglund, Vladimir Sobotka, Tage Thompson, a conditional first-round pick, which ended up being Ryan Johnson, and a 2021 second-round pick being Ben Roger. Uh, I mean, this is going to go down with as being maybe one of the biggest steals in history, if that matters. Oh, for sure. And I mean... The amount of, you know, cojones, for lack of better terms, it took <laughs> to walk away from Alex Pietrangelo, who in my mind is a top five defenseman in the NHL. Yeah. Yep. You know, that that takes some courage. Right? Let's just leave it at that. Yeah, just for lack of a better term, yeah. And, you know, he even, like, I remember in the summer of 2019 following the Cup Championship, he trades and then immediately extends Justin Falk as a fallback option in case they wouldn't be able to hammer out a deal with Pietrangelo. Mm-hmm. So he thinks long-term, and maybe people call him being unloyal, but you know it's a cutthroat business and good on him for making the tough decisions. Yeah, because we're in a salary cap era, and that's what you need to do. You need to make the decisions on what's best for the team. And as good as Petrangelo is, maybe, you know, Armstrong is looking at his team and it's like, am I going to commit $9 million a year for my captain when I have all these rookies coming up and everything? Because I don't know about you, but uh, I mean, obviously we're not looking at the same spectrum of quality or eliteness, but if they had signed Petrangelo, well, they wouldn't have been able to sign Robert Thomas. You know, exactly. So who's still an integral part of their offense and whatnot. So, no, I mean, I'm okay with it. And to be honest, uh, I am very excited for the day where you and I will be uh, able to debate the uh, starting roster for Team Canada as well, because that's going to be a lot of fun too. Oh, yeah. I, I've already pretty much got my mock projections there. Oh, Some of them are not very inspiring. But, I mean, <laughs> aside from maybe the bottom forward group or the seventh or eighth defenseman or the third goalie, I'm pretty confident with who I have have listed. We'll, uh, we'll discuss that in the near future, my friend, because obviously we need to get all the rosters out. So looking forward to that. So another segment of Around the NHL with Anthony DeMarco. Thanks again for your time, sir. No worries, man. My pleasure. And looking forward to it next week. Da-da-da-da-da. Hey! Well, thank you so much to both Patrick and uh, Anthony for that wonderful discussion about the NHL. Josh, I believe this is now your time to shine. And please, please say that you're going to make a reference to our very own favorite Guy Lafleur in this episode. Are we are we fortunate enough for that, or are we sadly missing out? Oh, you'll just have to listen to see. Well, here you go on this day in Habs history with Joshua Rosa. On this day in Habs history. On this day, September twenty seventh, the year of our Lord, nineteen thirty five. Al McNeil was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia. 
a bruising defenseman, played 11 seasons in the NHL, one of which was with the Canadians in 1961-62, scoring just one goal and eight points in 61 games. But he did finish with 74 penalty minutes. After a few years of bouncing around the league, McNeil would retire as a player in 1970. That year, he became the coach for the far, top farm team for the Canadians at the time, the Montreal Voyageurs. After a year, McNeil learned to call up to the big leagues as assistant coach to the Canadians behind head coach Claude Ruel. After a rough start to the season, Ruel quit the team and McNeil became the first Atlantic Canadian-born NHL head coach. The team was trending towards missing the playoffs for the second straight year something that hadn't happened to the Habs since 1919-1922. But McNeil was able to right the ship with the help of newly acquired Frank Mahovlich, who was traded for Guy Charon, Bill Collins, and Mickey Redmond, and got the team into the playoffs as the third seed to play the heavily favored Boston Bruins. Montreal was expected to lose the series, but McNeil did something that no one saw coming and played goaltender Ken Dryden in the playoffs. Today, everyone would say, well, duh, Ken Dryden is one of the best of all time. But at the time, Dryden had played just six NHL games, but he did win all of them, allowing just nine goals with a 1.65 goals against average. That was better than starting goaltender Roger Vachon, and he got the starting job in the playoffs. The team beat the Boston Bruins in seven games, the Minnesota North Stars in six, before meeting the Chicago Blackhawks in the final. The final was plagued with coaching controversies from Chicago coach Billy Ray being unable to get Bobby Hull away from Canadians rookie Rijan Houle, who kept Hull away from the net with Hull only scoring one goal the entire series. And McNeil had his own controversy. He could not speak any French having been born in Sydney, Nova Scotia, and he was accused by Henri Richard, his former teammate, of favoring English-speaking players when Richard was benched in Game 5. However, they appeared to bury the hatchet as Henri Richard would go on to win to score the Stanley Cup winning goal and could be seen embracing McNeil after the game. However, winning the cup just wasn't enough to save McNeil's job as he was demoted the following year where he would win three Calder trophies as coach of the Montreal Voyageurs and was named to the AHL Hall of Fame. Thank you so much for that, Josh. Like, I gotta say, I always love these little segments of history, which has absolutely nothing to do with me majoring in history. Nothing at all. Um, I do have to say, though, I'm a little bit disappointed to have not heard anything about Guy Lafleur, though it's still an awesome story. I can't say I'd ever heard of Al McNeil, so thank you for that. I did not know that he was the coach that really introduced Ken Dryden to the hockey world and of these pre-existing things between Anglophone head coaches in Montreal and Last time that happened in Montreal did not end very well. We do not speak of Randy Cunningworth. That never happened. Um, but thank you again. So now let us talk about something that is kind of 
ongoing. So we are recording this, and it is currently the second intermission of the Habs' second preseason game. And I've been keeping the game at, like in the corner of my eye throughout the recording of this podcast. And it's been an entertaining one, definitely more fun as a Habs fan than the, than the first preseason game one, uh, preseason game was. And yeah, so just a couple of the highlights, I'm just going to run through this and we can have some discussion about it. Um, so Jake Allen played the first half of the game and he kept a shutout, which is lovely. And he played very well. He made some, he made one especially very nice save on Ilya Mikheyev in the first uh, period, which was nice to see. And uh, apart from that, what's really shown has been that Montreal uh, trio of uh, Jonathan Drouin, who I, I, it's so much fun to see him back on the ice against the Leafs. I, he always plays well against Toronto, doesn't he, Josh? Like, Drouin always just like ups his game in against the Leafs. I think everyone does. It's the Leafs. Come on. Good point. You make a good point. But uh, the line of him, uh, new, the newly acquired uh, Dvorak and Josh Anderson, and they have combined for three goals in the first two periods, but none of them have come at even strength. Uh, Josh Anderson has two power play goals and Dvorak has one. Uh, and both Dwayne and Dvorak have potted uh, two assists as well. It's been a, a real like line effort of like, it's been all of them working together. And I know there is some, I guess, uh, I, I, some people have some reservations about this line because it may lack a play driver, but it's been fun to watch. Again, they haven't scored at even strength, but it's been very fun. Plus seeing the power play, score three goals in a game, even in preseason. Like, you can say what you want about the Habs offseason, but, like, the power play is much improved. Even with the loss of Shea Weber, I don't think anyone can argue that the power play is not going to be a lot better this year than the last, what, five seasons since Andre Markov left? Yeah, I mean, it's exciting. They've made the acquisition for the power play which is mike hoffman who's as many people say is pretty much non-existent outside of it but But he's he's, great on the power play we'll we'll keep that right yeah score like 18 goals on the power play and like we'll just keep that and like forget about like what he does in the defensive zone on five at five on five like we, we don't have to talk about that yet he's injured yeah (laughs) Fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so he's you got yeah even with this this isn't the montreal power play that we're going to be looking at i don't think we're going to see dvorak druen and anderson as our top power play line but it's really encouraging to see them as a line gelling like this because so we got anderson who's he's as close to the the energy guy, the driving force behind this line. Power forward. He's a he's a quintessential yep. power forward. The power horse. The power horse. It's a wonderful nickname. Yeah, he really lives up to it. Um, he does. Yeah, I he gallops really around encouraged. the ice. It's it's great. <laughs> I was really encouraged by his first goal that I saw. He was able to turn one of those big 
net front drives into a goal because he was going to the net hard, which is probably my biggest uh, criticism of him last year was that there were so many times that he would make this amazing pace, step right around the defender, get right to the front of the net, and then he missed the net. He wouldn't get a shot. He just, it just never worked out. And if he could just convert on like just a few 25% more of those drives, yeah. get them even on net, that's going to do way more wonders to his game than that. For sure. And like, like, like the first Anderson goal was just like the, the line was, was going into the zone on the power play. Uh, do I pass it up to Dvorak? Dvorak kind of tips it to just like as like a dump in kind of tip for the corner, but it hit Justin Holt's skate and just went right in front of Anderson. And he's like, okay, thank you. Top corner shot. Just like nice and easy, right? Like mm-hmm. nothing complicated, no celebration, just very cool, calm and collected, as we like to say here. Um, the second uh, goal, which was uh, Christian Dvorak's, uh, was a, on a beautiful feed from Jonathan Drouin. Uh, and as I was just saying, I'm so happy to have this player back. Like, I, like Drouin is really, like, one of my favorite players on the Habs just to watch because the pure skill level that he has is really only rivaled by Nick Suzuki and Cole Caulfield on the team, like, in terms of, like, I think that's fair, yeah. Skill. Like, again, not, not counting Carey Price here because... I don't want to compare apples and oranges here between forwards and goalies, but he is so skilled and the vision that he has, I think is going to be even more important this year than it was previously because the Habs lost two of their best playmakers in the off, uh, three of their best playmakers in the off season in Kakanyemi, Deneau and Tatar. And they added in goal scorers instead, right? A full season of Cole Caulfield and Mike Hoffman. So Whereas in the past, the Habs were a team with a bunch of playmakers and no one to convert. It might be a bit of the opposite this year of having all these goal scorers and then no one to get them the puck in creative ways. And Dwayne, you can call it like, again, he was made fun of for only scoring two goals last season, but he's a phenomenal playmaker. He, his vision is wonderful. Is nothing. It's not nothing. Exactly. It, yeah. it, it was great. And like his assist in this game to Christian Dvorak, Dvorak was just parked in front of the net, like uh, at the at the back post with his stick on the ice, and Dvorak got it through like two sticks and just right onto the tape and easy goal. Like like Dvorak didn't have to do anything. It could have, like it, it could have been any player, like like any left shot player basically, and like it would have gone in. <laughs> like Dvorak <laughs> yeah. just like he was like he got it perfect. And the third goal, um, I I. I only glimpsed it live because we may have been talking during it, but it was another Anderson goal of um, him off the rush. And then he put it just underneath the glove of the goalie. And like, honestly, both Anderson goals were off of very nice shots and he's going to be the, I guess, sniper on that line. Like, like Dvorak gets his goals by like mainly by tipping and, deflections and rebounds his wrist shot is good from medium distance but like anderson is the closest thing that line has to a sniper and yeah like he he's going to be important and i think the line could gel very well again like it's rare to see like any line stick together for 82 games in a season like we're going to see some shuffling happen at some point but i think it's a pretty 
promising line to see start the season. Like I, I wouldn't mind later in the season seeing Drouet on a line with Suzuki and Caulfield just to have like pure skill. <laughs> like just <laughs> that would be yeah, pure crazy. skill. I think it'd be very fun. But to start the season with this, I think it I think it should be really fun. And so we were, we mentioned Mike Hoffman uh, earlier and and Cole Caulfield. So two two of the Habs goal scorers are injured right now. So what, what are the updates on that, Josh? Yeah, so the big one is, of course, Mike Hoffman. He's out for a substantial amount of time, one month, four weeks with a lower body injury. And, of course, that's all we're going to get. We're not going to know anything else about that. It's it's somewhere. It's below his waist somewhere, I guess. But it's something. Maybe. We never know. Maybe. He lies sometimes. <laughs> yeah, it could be above his shoulders, dude. Anything. It's anywhere. It's a free-for-all. The lower body is below the hairline, I guess. But uh, he's, it was, I remember reading that it was a tweak that he did just during a skate, just during a warm-up skate before he came to Montreal. And of course, we're just going off of what we get. So you never really know. Hopefully he's just out for the month. Unfortunately, it kind of nixes his chances of gelling with any line mates that he could have. It's going to be interesting to see where he slots in to the lineup if there's going to be lines that we don't want to break up, even with Hoffman coming in if they're doing really well. Whereas he's going to really provide a spark, hopefully, for sh- shooting if the, the season goes poorly. And the other one is Cole Caulfield. He, during the warm-up skate for the red and white game, he fell into the boards, but pretty lightly. It wasn't something that you would see and think that's an injury that's going to take him out of time. And the verdict that i've heard is just one week um and it's a lower body injury as well i, I think i think it's upper i think upper. i think the one is upper but i mean again we never know i, I don't know i don't yeah i don't really trust those those uh <laughs> those things but yeah i mean maybe it's just precautionary right like even if it's mm-hmm. just like he was in a bit of discomfort and like he 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 it, like if this were like playoff time, I'm sure he'd be playing tomorrow, but yeah. it's preseason. You don't want to risk it. It's not worth it. You want a healthy cold Caulfield <laughs> to start yeah, the season. Exactly. But, but if Caulfield and Hoffman both miss the beginning of the regular season, which hopefully Caulfield doesn't, but if he were to, I know we, we were talking um, off camera, like not, not recording uh, about this. And I was saying that if, they both miss out i would not be surprised if uh a young player were to take uh not cole Caulfield's spot in the lineup on the first line but like that that roster spot uh for the time being in rafael Harvey Pinot. i think mm. i mean this is a player who is playing on the Habs second line in this current preseason game the second one against the leafs uh with jake evans and yola mia and that's I mean, it's a line spot that, like, maybe it's a placeholder for like a Gallagher, but like Gallagher's not playing with those two. I wouldn't imagine that possible, but it would be interesting. And maybe, maybe he could start the season with with them, right? Like, we never, 
really know. And, and again, this is a player that we just love. We love his work ethic. Okay, pa Patrick instructed us. We had to talk about one specific part of the red and white game. And that was the tic-tac-toe goal uh, between Yoel Armia, Jake Evans, and Rafael Vipinal, which the latter finished off on our one-timer, which Patrick then posted on our Twitter page mm. because he's just so enamored with it. And it was a gorgeous goal. Like it, beautiful. it has to be said, it was beautiful. And I, I mean, he showed in Laval last season that yes, he's an energy guy, like, like all the energy in the world, but he has that, like, like his nickname was Lavaliger because he's this undersized player who gets in front of the net. Like this, he's, he, he just disturbs the other team. Like they, they hate playing against him and he forces the puck into the net. Like he just, he gets, he gets it in there somehow. It's not always as pretty as that gorgeous tic-tac-toe goal, but it, he gets the job done. And I, I really would like to see him get some NHL games this season because I feel like that like mold of player fits in very seamlessly into what the Habs team philosophy is like even more so than like a Ryan Paling who's responsible defensively, but again, no one can like very few players can match the work ethic of Rafael Pinal. Yeah, that's, I, when watching Montreal, especially recently, there's been that real turn towards the work ethic. Like they might not be the most skilled guys, especially when you're looking at offensive zone and finishing. And that could be sort of a downfall for this team in the past, but they've always worked hard. It always brings me back to, I think, 2018, whichever year. Yes, Barry Kotkaniemi was the rookie. 2018. For 2018. Oh, wait, uh, uh, 2019, sorry. He was drafted 2019. in 2018. Yeah. And he, that team, was just so much fun to watch. It, it was, was incredible. They didn't make the playoffs, but they were wonderful. Like they were it, it was the, the, it was the Max Domi breakout, right? Of the yeah. 72 point Max Domi season. Uh, yeah, it was it was wonderful. Yeah, there were those games where like they come back against that Washington game where Kotkaniemi scores his first two goals wow. and I will never forget that game. It was it was incredible. Amazing. It's one of my favorite games I've ever watched. It was Yeah. Well, I I completely agree. Like it it was really really great. And now that we're talking about Montreal's old number 15, let's talk about the new one. This is an acquisition that the Habs made this week in Sami Miku, who was a left defenseman who was drafted and developed developed by uh the Winnipeg Jets. And as a like 20 year old or 21 year old, he was the AHL's most outstanding defenseman. Um, and now he's 24. And this is a player whose development was, it, okay, this might not bode well for the team, but I'm going to just draw a comparison to how Victor Mete was developed here and compare that to how Winnipeg developed Sami Niku, who is an undersized puck-moving defenseman who was basically held out of the lineup because he can't play physically. And it's like, <laughs> you have to play to play your strengths, right? And hopefully the Habs don't do that this season um, because, again the Montreal defensive core does not need another person to clear the net front. Like they, they've got like 18 of those players. We don't need more, 
but what we do need is a puck mover and someone who can also maybe play some power play time, but just a distributor, someone who can get controlled zone exits and just move the puck around the ice. Definition of a puck mover, right? Like move the puck efficiently and protect possession. And again, like you can say whatever you want about Ben Chirot. Some love him, some don't. I'm in the latter category, but no one's ever going to call him a good puck moving defenseman. He, he ices the puck three times a game, right? Like his, his passing yeah. is not his strong suit. Right. Um, and Niku, just like Victor Mete, his passing is one of his strengths. And like analytically, Niku was not a good player recently for the Jets. Um, but that's not to say that he's not skilled because he does have very clear skill. It's just his usage wasn't good. I'm not, I can't say I'm too confident that his usage is going to be good for the Habs this season because we saw what happened with, with Victor Mete. But yeah, it's an interesting acquisition for one year at like what seven hundred thousand, and I think he has a guaranteed like four hundred twenty-five thousand in the AHL if he gets moved down. But yeah, this is a player who was bought out by the Jets, and yeah. So Josh, what are your thoughts on Niku as a player, and maybe like elaborate a little bit more on like your thoughts of like that mold of defenseman of like undersized, not going to clear the net front, but has other strengths. Yeah, he's at least going to be really good in the AHL because no matter what, he's put up decent to great and AHL stats. He's scored. Oh, he's put some points. amazing ones. Yeah. In how many games? 54, 54 points in how many games? I mean, that's yeah, pretty as good. A defenseman, <laughs> as a defenseman. And that was 2018. So he's... That's years ago. He's only, I presume, gotten better. I can't say I know Niku totally, like, deeply as a player, but he's just glancing at his points. He's going to be really good if he goes down to Laval, which I think is might, might be where he ends up unless there's, like, we don't know. Edmondson's also day-to-day. But he, he's, he's actually know. meant to be back at practice on Wednesday. So it's not at all long-term. And there's a bit of a logjam on defense now, right? With, mm-hmm. So we've got Petrie, Savard, Edmondson, Sherratt, Romanov. It's like the five Kulak. that are in the starting lineup. But then, okay, so that, that, that's five. Then we've got yep. Kulak, Weidman, Niku. That's eight defensemen. One of those guys is going to get sent down to the A. I don't think it's going to be Kulak. It's going to be Weidman or Niku. It's, I mean, it, it, there's, there's no way it's Romanov, but yeah, yeah, it's going to be interesting to just see also how preseason continues. Because I'm sure Niku is going to play soon. And mm-hmm. anyways, sorry, I I interrupted you. You still want no, to talk no problem. about uh, like the mold of defenseman? Yeah, it. I would rather see a Niku or a Weidman in that sixth role than. Kulak just for their offensive flair their ability to put up points and put up goals because as you said Montreal is filled with defenders who don't score um when sure. we played yeah though, when though, we though, played though, Toronto though one thing I just wanted to note sorry again for interrupting <laughs> but um whoever wins out that battle between Weidman, Niku, and Kulak, the Weidman is the only right shot of the three, which would give him an advantage. Um, they're all more 
puck movers than like net front clears. Like like Kulak, not an offensive defenseman in any way, but he's he was like in the playoffs. Uh, he was Montreal's best puck moving defenseman. Like like uh, Dmitry Filipovich wrote an article for Elite Prospects today uh, or in the last couple of days. Um, outlining uh, just like the, the the puck moving statistics of every single defenseman in the playoffs, and Brett Kulak was far and away the the Habs best, and like Petrie was like slightly above average, but like Kulak was like like wide margin the the strongest puck mover. So whoever ends up in that slot, it's going to be someone who is a bit offensively inclined and is a puck mover. So it should should be interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it might be. It it depends on how the defensive pairings come out because Petrie's going to be the guy that's carrying the puck on whatever pairing he's going to play with, most likely Edmondson because that's who he played with most of last year. But then that leaves a pairing of David Savard and Ben Sherrod, which might be pretty painful to watch getting out of it their would own be zone. i would hate i would hate that i would really really not <laughs> like that yeah. I, I want i would love a romanov savard pairing i think that would be really fun and that would free up romanov to show his offense and like move the puck and be daring because savard is just so steady defensively yeah i think it could be like what montreal was trying to do with Victor Mete all those years ago by pairing him with Shea Weber by freeing him up but obvious I think clearly Romanov and Savard would work a lot better because Romanov at this point is far more confident and better of a player than Mete was when he was in his rookie year and probably now even and Savard is so good defense like that's what he's known for is he's going to be your rock back there he's gonna sit back there and he's gonna stop the other team from scoring so i'm not sure if they are gonna it would be nice it would give romanov a lot more responsibility which is something that he's asked for recently he wants he loves he wants to play higher up in the lineup he wants to have that responsibility wants to play in the playoffs if Montreal makes the playoffs this year, unlike this past year where he was healthy scratched for most of it. And I think that could be a really great way to get him more involved up in the lineup while still keeping him more safe and harbored than pairing him with other guys on the team. And just to finish off the episode here, who is one Habs player that may not be like a top pairing or top line guy that you're most excited to watch or see progress or whatever it may be this season? My answer might surprise you. I'm not sure what you're expecting, but it might surprise you in that this is an older player who's been on the Habs longer than almost anyone. And I'm actually going to say Brendan Gallagher. He just signed that big contract, but he lost both of his teammates. He lost Tatar, he lost Deneau. And in my opinion, the line started off when they were paired together years ago as a really dominant possession line. Like when they were on the ice, the puck was on their stick 
in the opposition zone. And that was what they were great at. They caused chaos. Yep. And that's where Gallagher thrived. They caused chaos. They broke down defense by keeping it in the zone that they they break down and Gallagher was able to score all those 30 goal seasons. Those two, two or three 30 goal seasons that he had. I, I think he had two, but he was on pace for three. It was just injury slash COVID that cut that off. But he may even, even have been on pace for four, like the last mm-hmm. two seasons. But uh, yeah, yeah, no, I, I can't, I can't say I was expecting that though. I mean, Gallagher's, I think everyone, like one of everyone's favorite players, right? Like, like he, like he's impossible to dislike out there on the ice. Um, my my answer is actually going to be Jake Evans. I think that Jake Evans is going to start the season in that third line center position, and I think it's, it's the most likely outcome. I don't think it's going to be Ryan Paling, and they're definitely not putting Jonathan Drouin back in that in a center spot, right? We know oh, that. Oh, no, please, thank no. goodness, no. But. Um, I'm going to say Jake Evans because he's had some real playmaking flashes of um, like, even in this very preseason game that that we're talking about the second one here in the first period, he had a lovely um, like uh, pass to Jean-Sebastien D in the first period. And it was on the power play was off the rush. And like, it was a really good opportunity that he created and like, Again, the, the same Rafael Harvey Pinard goal that we were talking about earlier, the, the tic-tac-toe. That beauty it was, pass. It was a gorgeous pass from Jake Evans. He, so he definitely has some like offensive skills that haven't had the ability to really shine in the role that he's played previously, which has been fourth-line shutdown minutes plus penalty kill. Like, mm-hmm. he, I mean, he had some flashes, right, of like, I know he had that one like uh, PK goal against the Edmonton Oilers when he, he put the puck around Darnell Nurse's skate and then while falling, put it in the top corner. Like he, he has those like flashes of skill. And I remember one game late last regular season, I want to say he had a game where I think he had two assists in the first period, both of which were like seeing eye passes of just brilliant playmaking. I think if he were given wingers like Brendan Gallagher and Mike Hoffman, I mean, we can say what we want about Mike Hoffman and his play at five on five, but he's always going to be a goal scoring threat. Like his shot's good enough that he's always going to be a threat. And having someone like Jake Evans, who can be a really good playmaker, I think will be fun to see. Again, he he might just be a steady, like third line center who just eats shutdown minutes and doesn't produce offensively. But I really think there's a bit of a ceiling there of like, I don't know, like 13 goals and, 20 assists or something like, but like more than what most fans might expect. And I think just through his work ethic, he might, he might like really get there. And I'd, I'd really want to see that this season. Yeah. When I think of Evans, I always think of one specific game last year, which was a game that Montreal clinched their playoff spot against Edmonton. And it was Byron Evans, like an in line which has been together I think, for a I bit think, i think that's the game i was talking about with his two mm-hmm. assists yeah they the, each of them scored one goal each yeah. i remember it was great because lekanen scored a goal and then it was offside but then he scored like five minutes later anyway yeah and they edmonton just couldn't stop this third line of byron evans and lekanen and he has that like 
like almost game breaking ability. Like they took over that game. They, they were did. the number one line for Montreal. They stopped Edmonton and they dragged Montreal into the playoffs that and night. There was also a game, it may have been that one, where Evans shadowed Connor McDavid all night long. McDavid yeah. did not score a single point, and it was beautiful, right? Like, like if we we talk about like the no replacements and having to acquire one, but like Jake Evans isn't there yet at like the no level of like elite shutdown center. But there's not many out there. He's exactly right near the top. Yeah, but Evans could develop into a Dano. Like, like Dano is also a later bloomer, like not quite as late as Jake Evans, but like Dano is a first round pick who Chicago gave up on basically because like he wasn't putting up points in the AHL. He wasn't playing much with the Blackhawks. And then he arrives in Montreal and is handed a first line center position. And he did very well defensively. Right. And I I think, I think Jake Evans is going to be a really fun and underrated player to follow this season. And yeah, I think that, that about wraps it up for this episode of a panel of just two of us, which was a little bit foreign. Also, my debut as a host. Uh, we'll see. We'll see if Patrick approves. Uh, but uh, yeah, so I guess I'll I'll thank everyone that contributed to this episode in uh, Joshua Rosa. Uh, with his, as always, wonderful This Day in Habs History segment, and for his insight for, uh, I mean, everything, but especially for uh, the game that he went to watch between the Steelheads and the Kitchener Rangers. And uh, another thank you for uh, Patrick Lorty and Anthony DeMarco for uh, the Around the NHL segment, and to Patrick Lorty for the half splits. And then another thank you to Chanelle Marie for the voiceovers and to Shane Ivers for all the music that you hear in this podcast. Thank you very much. And be sure to uh, tune in next week uh, when we will discuss more preseason. And maybe Patrick and I are also going to head to some QMJHL games between the Gatineau Olympique and the um, Blainville-Boisbriand Armada. And as Joshua so kindly reminded me, I, of course, have to also say thank you to my my, my normal uh, 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 Prospects Heroes uh, partner in Scott Cowan, who gave us a, a nice little segment in this episode as well. So thank you to everyone, and uh, I hope that you enjoyed the show. a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino online. I was only playing for fun, so winning was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's favorite free online social casino. You too could have the chance to win life-changing cash prizes. Absolutely anybody could be like Mary. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumboCasino.com and play for free now. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice of the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of the winner.